Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And good morning. It's, it's great to be with you this morning. It's not the first time for my wife, Kathy, uh, and me to be here with you visiting uh, the Morejones and, and uh, on other occasions. Uh, we think of you often. We certainly have prayed for you often over the last year and a half. And uh, just honored to be here with you this morning. Thank you to the uh, church leadership for inviting me to come. Now, I've been in your shoes uh, listening to guest speaker after guest speaker, people just kind of dropping in Sunday after Sunday. And one of the main things that's on my mind when I'm listening to a new speaker is, okay, where's this person from? What else is he about? Or whatever. I'll just go ahead and tell you. You can tell by the way I speak. I'm not from around here originally. Um, Some people hear where I'm from and others don't. I grew up in Alabama, used to have a very thick southern accent. Uh, My wife is not from that part of the world, and um, her mother made it her mission to cure me of my demented speech. Um, That's a quote. (laughs) Um, And living in Japan for a while, learning Japanese, reworked some muscles in our mouths as well, I think. Uh, But uh, that's where uh, I'm from by background. My shirt (laughs) is an Indonesian batik purchased for me by Korean missionaries when we were together in Jakarta. Um, So you don't have to worry about that either. Um, I had wanted a black batik, and they went out and rushed around (laughs) and got it for me. If you know Korean hospitality, you'll understand that. Um, To focus on our text, Acts chapter 15, uh, you'll recall that uh, that very crucial passage is recounting uh, a very important time in the early years of the Christian church. Um, There was a big challenge that had arisen uh, in this new movement, this new era, this, this new kingdom that Jesus of Nazareth had inaugurated through his life and death and resurrection and exaltation and outpouring of his spirit. And the leaders were dealing with something that was very, very serious. Now, we are in the same new era that Jesus inaugurated, as have Jesus' followers throughout the world, generation upon generation ever since then. And we face similar challenges. And so as we look at this text, let's, let's pray and ask God to give us wisdom to understand and to, to live in ways that honor him. Let's pray. Oh God, we are grateful to worship you. We're grateful to know you, to have been restored to you in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that as one congregation among thousands who have been gathering throughout this Lord's Day. We're privileged to have you living among us, working among us, mercifully in your love and grace, encouraging us, leading us in worship. We've had different weeks. We face weeks ahead of us with school beginning and other factors in our lives, we're we're grateful to be here. 
And we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for this portion of your word to inspire Dr. Luke to record for your people down through the generations. We look to you by your spirit to lead us and teach us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I can show you the world shining, shimmering, splendid. Tell me, princes, now when did you last let your heart decide? I can open your eyes, take you wonder by wonder, over, sideways, and under on a magic carpet ride. A whole new world, if you're not with me there yet. A new fantastic point of view. No one to tell us no or where to go or say we're only dreaming. And Princess Jasmine chimes in. A whole new world. A dazzling place I never knew. But when I'm way up here, it's crystal clear that now I'm in a whole new world with you. And on the, the song goes and they close together. Aladdin and Jasmine, a whole new world, that's where we'll be, a thrilling chase, a wondrous place for you and me. The early church was facing a whole new world. And it was just not a little ditty or not a magic carpet ride that, um, that the genie had created for them to fly around and be romantic together. This was a real new situation that the early followers of Jesus were facing. If you'll remember from the early chapters of Acts, all sorts of things have been happening. Here they had come to follow and believe in this, this rabbi, who had been doing these miracles, he's executed. They're absolutely crushed and bewildered. Then he rises again from the dead, appears to them, eats with them, and he goes back into heaven. And angels say he's coming again. Don't just be so bumfuzzled and go back to Jerusalem and wait. He's going to pour out His Spirit. He does that. Jesus pours out His Spirit. There are these miraculous occurrences. Different people who are gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost can hear the wonders of God being preached and talked about in their own languages. How could this be? The church grows. They're experiencing the kind of Fellowship and unity they had never known before. The apostles themselves are doing miracles, bringing lame people to walk. There's conflict with the authorities. And then Stephen is stoned. And persecution begins. And Luke tells us in in Acts chapter 8, that the the Christians start to... Actually, they're not called Christians yet. The followers of Jesus start to flee 
and run for their lives because of the persecution that was breaking out. And Peter has this incredible experience where he's seen a vision and he goes into a Gentile's home, Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on these Gentiles. And the Apostle Paul, who had been prior to that persecuting Christians, he has the risen Jesus appear to him. And he starts to preach to Gentiles. And then the church at Antioch takes shape. And there they're called Christians, the followers of Jesus, because it's no longer these Galileans, as they had been called, the followers of Jesus. You have different sorts of people coming together. This, this is a new thing. And then throughout Asia Minor, as Paul and Barnabas are going around and preaching and teaching, the Holy Spirit is bringing different sorts of people together. And the leaders in Jerusalem, who of course were Jewish followers of Jesus, just as their forefathers, generation upon generation upon generation upon generation back, let's go back 2,000 years to Abraham. That's a long, long time for expectations, for instincts about what is right and what is wrong, what is true religion, what is not true religion, to be deeply ingrained in people. And so while we would disagree with the, those who were trying to force others to be circumcised, I've come to a deeper appreciation for how deep the struggle was for these Jewish believers. You were, of course, all the males were to be circumcised. Of course, that had been prescribed by God in Holy Writ long, long ago. Of course, this is all that we ate. Of course, we did not eat that. Of course, we said our prayers this way. That's the way it had always been done, and that's the way it had been prescribed for us in the Scriptures. And so, as these new people are coming into the faith who are not of Jewish descent. They don't have this background. They don't know the promises of a coming Messiah. There was no expectation among the Gentiles of that. But here they come to believe in this same crucified and risen and exalted rabbi. (laughs) But they're Gentiles. And so, of course, many of the Jewish Christians think they they have to be circumcised. They have to become Israelites. And then the Apostle Paul of all people, Peter of all people says, but look, the Holy Spirit has come upon these non-Jews. Why should they have to become Jewish? God has shown us that He accepts them the way that they are. This This is a difficult challenge that they're facing. It's a new world for them. Okay? It's a real struggle. And so they had this meeting in Jerusalem, as recorded in Acts chapter 15, of the different leaders in the church. And Paul and Barnabas come, and Peter comes, and others from outside, and those on the inside are discussing. And then James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he speaks, as we've just heard, And he says, 
we've heard what Simeon has said, Peter. We've heard what Paul has said. Therefore, it's just my judgment that we, you know, don't make them have to become fully Jewish and everything. They just observe certain ways of eating and everything is going to be okay. If I had been James, or if we had had a committee, let's say, like we're used to serving on, whether at work or in church or even as families or in neighborhoods, a committee probably would have done what I just reported to you just now that James would have said. Listen, I mean, we can all get along here. We can come to a compromise. Let's just do that. That's not what James said. That's not what all that James said. As we just heard read, when James is speaking, and he mentions how Peter has told us of how God visited the Gentiles, James goes to the prophets. In other words, he doesn't just say, listen, we can get along. Just listen to each other a little bit. He doesn't focus on how they're to get along only. He goes to why they need to get along. He goes to the prophets. He goes to Amos mainly. Amos chapter 9. If you know the prophet Amos... Amos is just this long string of judgments on the surrounding nations, on Israel and on Judah, given in the 8th century. And sure enough, exile comes. But at the very end of Amos, the end of chapter 9, we have the words that James quotes, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. James sees in what was being prophesied at Amos about rebuilding the tent of David, he sees the resurrection of Jesus there. Jesus has risen. Jesus has been exalted. You see here this, this fallen tent, tabernacle, even temple of David. It's being rebuilt in the risen one in Jesus. And not only that, just as Amos prophesied, James continues, that the remnant of mankind might seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things. James sees that from old it had been prophesied that all peoples would come in in the risen Messiah, in the fallen, uh, in the risen, resurrected, rebuilt tent of David. Amen? Indeed, we are testimony to that. The gospel of Jesus Christ has even come to our kind of people. For example, there was no English language 2,000 years ago. But God in His determination into different languages, into different peoples, has been rebuilding the fallen tent of David, has been rebuilding the temple in Jesus Christ among all peoples. That's what James says that the prophets had said. And James just tacks on, by the way, for good measure, a phrase known from of old. These things known from of old. That's from Isaiah chapter 45. That's also in the 8th chapter B.C. That's where that's this magnificent prophecy in Isaiah where prior to the exile 
God foretells the name of Cyrus, king of Persia, whom God would use later to bring His people back. And I've known all these things from old, God says. James is saying, listen, what we're seeing happening here in front of our eyes, this is a new world, yes. This is a new era. We're facing this new challenge, yes. But God has told us about this from long ago. This has always been a part of what God has been intending to do. What happened with the life of David was simply pointing, which was a thousand years ago from these early disciples' point of view. What happened in the life of David and his son Solomon and the building of the tabernacle and the temple, that was simply pointing towards the greater David. Jesus the Messiah who lived and died and rose again from the dead and is exalted. It's happening right in front of our eyes, James is saying, just as God said generations ago would take place. Amazing! Not just how we're to get along, how we can solve our problems. This is why this is taking place. This is of God. This is all a part of God's doing, James points out. This was necessary because of the deep-seated instincts that these early Jewish followers of Jesus had. In Acts chapter 1, you remember verses 6 through 8, what happens? Right? As Jesus is ready to be exalted, ascended to heaven, and be exalted at the throne of the Father, Luke reports in verse 6 that the disciples come to Jesus. They've been with him now for weeks since the resurrection. They've been with him, they've been hearing him, they've been seeing him, and they say, okay. They, all the while, they're processing about what's happening. This is, a, this is incredible for them. Here, their rabbis come from the dead. We, we're eating with him. He, he really is here in a, in a new body. Same body, new body. And they come and ask him, I say, is, is, this, is this the time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? Are you taking us back at, to the glory days of David and Solomon? That was a big question for them. That had been the long-standing hope. That was, as, that was as big as they could think. My paraphrase of Jesus' answer is, you all have no idea what you're talking about and you're thinking much too small. Luke reports, he says, only the Father knows the dates and times of these things. But here's what's going to happen, Jesus says in verse 8. Here's what's going to happen. You will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what starts to happen, as Luke records in in the book of Acts. That's what is happening up until Acts chapter 15. That is what's been happening ever since then. Again, we're part of the witness, the fruit of all of that, what Jesus foretold what happened. Jesus had to work hard by His Spirit in His Word. James had to go back to the prophets to help these early disciples see the bigger picture of what was happening. We need that too in different sorts of ways. We all do. We all all tend to be too small-minded. You know, our lives are complicated. We face challenges. We struggle. We have 
we, we wrestle with our own frailties and, and difficulties and challenges in life and as churches, and we need to be stretched. For example, with Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Go, look at, go do an internet search on this and test this, by the way. I've done this. Just search for yourself and see. When you look up what an Acts 1-8 church is, the uniform answer that comes is a church that reaches out from itself to near parts to further people to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. I would submit to you that's much too limited, much too small-minded, much too self-centered. Jesus gave a historical prediction of what was going to happen. I don't want to diss the concentric circle paradigm. Officials don't hear what I'm not saying. But Jesus was saying to his disciples and to us generations later, I'm going to pour out my spirit. He did, as Luke recorded in Acts chapter 2. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's what we see happening in Acts. In Judea and Samaria, we see that happening in recorded in Acts. And to the ends of the earth, Antioch, beyond, China, Northeast Africa, the church spreads in all sorts of directions from the very beginning. We've always been a worldwide movement, essentially. Always. Do you realize how many Christian congregations have been worshiping the Lord today? In how many thousands of languages worship has been taking place today? I love to think about just in, in coming to grips further with how wonderful and magnificent God is. How many languages in which He's been speaking and interacting with His people today? The fourth question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, some of you may know this, what is God? The answer is, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Amen. I want to add to that. He's infinite in his linguistic capacities. He's, Kathy makes fun of me sometimes on this word, he's omnilingual. That's part of the heart of who he is. I told you I grew up with a very thick U.S. Southern accent in Alabama. My wife could tell you I was as provincial a human being as you could imagine. And that's okay. And then we go to Japan. You know what language they speak in Japan? And we get there and we start going to Japanese church and we're trying to learn Japanese. And You know what language they use in Japanese church? He's Japanese. And I remember thinking, I honestly remember thinking to myself in church, okay, they're preaching, singing, praying in Japanese, but they have to be thinking in English. (laughs) I mean, how else can they understand? How else can they understand? The deeper question I was asking was, how could God understand? if they're not interacting with him in English. Because for me, God was an English-speaking God. I knew in my mind, I'd grown up in church, I knew he spoke all languages, but I had never experienced God in that way. And you know what happened? We learned Japanese enough, and we're praying and worshiping in Japanese, only in Japanese, no English going on, and God became much more dangerous. Much bigger. Those of you who are multilingual know what I'm talking about. 
God is such a great and magnificent God, the God of all peoples. And that was the new challenge that he was bringing to these early Christians. And that is an ongoing challenge he brings to us throughout the generations. This whole historical outworking of redemption among all peoples. As I look at you, there are different ones of you from different parts of the, of the world. Representing in a microcosm how we of all nations are coming to him. This is a big project that he's about. It was a big project that the early disciples were dealing with. This was a challenge of a whole new world. Jesus had risen. He had ascended. He was exalted. He had poured out His Spirit. He promised He was becoming again. He's in heaven interceding for us. He reigns on high. He had defeated Satan. Revelation 20, there are different ways of understanding Revelation. I understand that. But one interpretation of Jesus binding Satan from deceiving the nations anymore is to say when he rose from the dead and ascended on high, when he dies on the cross, he breaks the power of Satan for deceiving the nations anymore. All peoples are free to come to him now. Hallelujah! This is a big project. That's why we have multicultural churches. That's why we work to get along with each other. Not just because we can be nice people. We're called to work together and live together. We're a part of this whole project of God rebuilding the tent of David. Creating this temple in which He dwells. All of us living stones coming from all sorts of different people and nations and tongues. We're a part of a great temple. Richfield Baptist Church, you're a part of the great worldwide temple across the generations around the world. You're a part of something big. You know how those... James Bond movies begin, and there's this initial conflict. But you find out later there's something bigger behind. I enjoyed the Batman trilogy that Christopher Nolan uh, directed. And, uh, you know, there was this initial drug cartel apparent in Gotham, but you find out behind it is the League of Shadows who are out to destroy Gotham. More so than that, more so than a movie, behind in unseen ways of what is happening with you as a church is this great mission of God. This this full redemption of the universe in Jesus Christ. He really does want to bring different sorts of people together. He really does want to help those of us in this country who have different political convictions to, in Jesus Christ, somehow to come together, even when there are such fundamental differences in political convictions that many of us have. That is a tough one. You talk about a challenge. Not just to agree about everything. Not just to get along because we're nice people. Because Jesus by His Spirit is rebuilding His temple. That's why. 
part of the big project. Somehow, it can be so scandalous how we Christians are divided. I know there are many issues connected with that. I don't mean to be simplistic. But he really does want to help us be his people in this world. It's worth it. It's worth it to continue working through our challenges. We're in a whole new world, friends. A whole new world that one day when Jesus comes back, He's going to make it all right again. Amen? It's worth it to continue in our families as individuals to struggle through our sin. It's worth it for you to keep keep working and anticipate getting a new pastor and continue serving even when it's wearisome and tiresome and confusing. It's worth it. You're a part of something much bigger than just what is happening here. And unlike Aladdin and Jasmine, it's not just for you and me. It's not just a whole new world for you and me. This is a whole new world for the whole world of which you're a part. Okay, when that song goes through your mind and you start humming it, you will, I bet. And that's okay. In fact, it's a good thing. When it does start going through your mind and you find yourself humming it, those of you who know it, which I would assume would be most of you, don't stop with Aladdin and Jasmine. Let that be a reminder, a pointer to the whole new world in Jesus Christ that God has recreated and will bring to full fruition when Jesus comes back. Be encouraged this week. Be hopeful this week. Be strengthened this week to know that you are a part of a whole new world in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh God in heaven, how great and mighty and wondrous you are. You made this world in the first place. How beautiful it is. How fallen it is, but yet how beautiful the sunshine, moon, and stars are every single day giving testimony to how faithful you are. Even when the weather's hot, you are good, and we know that you are good. Even when we struggle with sin and face all sorts of perplexing challenges, as your people in Jesus Christ, help us and lead us by your Holy Spirit. Remind us, just as James reminded that group in Jerusalem. Remind us that we are a part of a much bigger picture of what you are doing in this world. We are outposts of your kingdom. Oh God, for those people, those few people in Morocco right now who know Jesus, in the aftermath of that terrible earthquake, for all people there of goodwill, serving in a period of great distress and damage, Oh, God, give strength and mercy. Show your kindness. For those public figures, be it in athletics or politics or business, for those public figures who know Jesus Christ, continue to give strength 
to live and to speak in ways that give honor to Jesus Christ. Thank you for how you have us, your people, sprinkled throughout the earth. And I pray for these friends here in Ridgefield Baptist Church that every day, every week, you will give them encouragement and strength as part of your whole new world in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.